Hello and welcome to the Coast to Coast College Admissions Podcast. Each week, we talk about different college admissions topics and answer those tough questions you may be dealing with concerning getting into the college of your choice. We know how difficult this process can be, so each week, we try and make it easier to navigate. Now, here's your host, Anna Wren and Mark Hoffer. everybody and welcome to the coast to coast college admissions podcast super excited it's anna here with mark hofer hi mark how are you i'm good anna how are you good super excited because we're going to be talking about decisions today yeah it's the uh it is the time of decisions for sure i mean as as spring comes upon the northern hemisphere i think uh, every person who is applying to college has has this wondrous uh, set of choices that they are soon to uh, take on. Yes. So let's talk about the types of decisions that kids might get, I guess, this round, the regular round versus like the early action, early decision round. Sure, sure. Do you want to talk about just the kind of the the four main uh, points that uh, most students hear from? So I feel like when I hear about it is either you're accepted, which woohoo, um, you're not accepted, which is okay, boo, or um, you might be waitlisted. Yep. But which other one are you thinking for the fourth? Well, the only other one is is deferred admission. I mean, and this is one of those things that, uh, and we'll talk probably a little bit more about it, but um, deferred admission has an interesting one. There's deferred admission that happens in the early round where they are basically put into the later, you know, the general pool for admissions. But then there's also this new, uh, it's not new, but it's becoming more more uh, common is they will actually defer somebody to joining the class halfway through the year. Um, mm. So they actually start their their four years at the halfway point of the next year. And I think there's one more where when you're applying, you can also choose, and maybe that's where the deferred comes from. You can choose to join that later class halfway through the year, or you can choose to start off at another campus. Exactly. Yep. yep. Yeah. I think the, the first one, when, when somebody gets that acceptance letter, while that is a, a wonderful feeling and there's uh, lots of good things that go along with getting that acceptance letter, it also puts a magnifying glass on did you practice due diligence when you were sending out your applications? Did you identify really you know, best fit schools so that uh, when you do get that acceptance, it's absolutely, you know, and you send in your deposit and ready to go. But uh, I think uh, it's also for a lot of students, if they get more than one acceptance, then they're back to square one. They have to re-examine what really is a best fit. That's a great point. So I think did we, we kind of talked about deferred. And then waitlisted is similar to deferred, but it's not waiting until like the school year has already started. But usually um, schools will reach out to students after they receive the, I guess, deposits from the students that have decided to join them. Yeah, I, 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 it's funny. I, I term the wait list as purgatory because um, it's kind of like, you know, you're on the wait list for the plane at the airport. And <laughs> it, it, it sucks because you don't know exactly where you stand and it's hard to make decisions because you don't have, possibly you don't have enough information to make a, a really solid decision. So a lot of students feel, well, what is this wait list thing? Um, What does it mean to me when I get that? 
uh, wait list notification. When, when you have a student who uh, gets one, what's the first thing that you tell them? So I usually tell students that if they get waitlisted, it's okay, you know, but I, we do talk about the odds. And a lot of um, colleges will actually list the odds of getting off the waitlist on their admissions website, just so that we have a realistic point of view. But I always say, you know, we should still go ahead and, you know, pick the best fit school out of the ones that you've been accepted to. And then let's see if we can also increase our odds to get off the wait list. That's so, funny. You, you approach it with the, the same mathematical orientation that I think I do as well. I think <laughs> as a scientist, I, I kind of start to get into the numbers. And it sounds like, like you said, you play the odds of, uh, of a couple of things that you do know. What are the main things that you key off of um, to kind of get an uh, an orientation of, of where schools sit when you're working with a student? So I'll, we'll go back and I think we'll look at the student's um, credentials and see like how is it a fit for that school. Um, but like as my brother would say, like then you beg yourself off the wait list <laughs> if you can. Um, which uh, in some cases works, it doesn't always work, right? But I think that always also goes back to when we talk about demonstrated interest and not only you begging yourself off the wait list, but asking advocates to do it for you as well. So maybe that's your guidance counselor to reach out and just further put in like, oh, since then, you know, this student has achieved this award and they have had this honor and so on and so forth. But how do you advise your students? Well, one of the first things I, I try to, uh, a lot of times, the same thing with, with when the students are writing essays. I try to let them know what are schools, why are they asking this question in the first place and who's going to be reading it. I kind of turn the tables in the same way for the wait list and I explain to them what the wait list, why they exist for a school and why do colleges even send out wait list notifications to students. And I let them know that just like them, they are playing the lottery. And basically, they're trying to protect their best bet on the best students to fill their class. So they know they have X number of spots and they want to fill it with the best possible students. So they actually have a list and it's actually not ranked. When they put out the wait list, that's one thing students don't understand. Most schools don't have a ranking on that wait list. It's not like number one on the wait list is going to be the first one accepted. It's basically a list with names and qualifications and they take that as, as, as a single entity. So um, one of the things, they play the percentage. How can they get the best possible students and fill up their class as early as possible? So that wait list, while in May is usually the time that you hear things um, and when deposits are, are due, um, it's not uncommon that colleges are now contacting students on the wait list earlier than that. That's a great point. So now that these students have like this combination, what, what should they do? Yeah, that's a good question. So one of the things, and I, I'm curious to find out how you advise students uh, Anna, on this one. Um, so if a student gets a wait list notification, do you have them, and you mentioned, you know, you can have a counselor write and, and basically, you know, show a case that this is a great student, which I think is, is, is fine to do. I also let students know that this is a time that if they have had an update on some of the things that um, they're 
since their application has gone in, um, if they have updates on their GPA or awards or rec recognitions, scholarships, those kind of things are all fair game in alerting the school to know that they're still very interested, that they've been on task during their senior year, and that they really want to go to that school. So I think those are all things that can be done to, like you said, your brother says, you can beg your way on. And I think that's, you know, if it is your best fit, best school, then it's, it's appropriate for sure. And I think it's worth the effort as well. So I think the next question that I think students or families often ask is, okay, we really want to go to the school that we're on the wait list for, but what do we do now in the meantime? Right. And can, can they wait? You well, know? absolutely. I, I, what do you, when you have, have you had students who have gone from the wait list and actually been accepted to, to the school later on in the, in the process? I have, but we always advise that they send in the deposit and take the acceptance <laughs> somewhere else first. Um, totally obviously, somewhere they still would love to go to, but then, you know, then the parents then ask, what happens to the deposit? And unfortunately, you do lose that deposit. Yeah, I think uh, that's one thing that students uh, they, and parents, I mean, if there is a deposit that's required, and, and absolutely, I'm, I'm with you 100%. I, I tell students, you know, secure a spot at a school that you are interested in and if you apply to it you obviously are interested so send in your deposit it's basically i mean that's respectful and you're practicing due diligence to secure your spot but it's also respectful of the students who are also in the same boat they're waiting as well so send in your deposit so schools know that you're interested seriously interested and they can start looking at their numbers and, and, and providing spots to students who are on their wait list as well. Absolutely. And I know that, you know, most of the time it is binding once you send in your deposit. But the only caveat is if you do get off the wait list somewhere else. Right. Then it's okay. Right. Have you, do you know anybody who has actually sent in their deposit and um, then they got into another school and they had to forfeit their deposit? I've had, yes, I've had two cases at least. One is personal, so one is my brother. My parents <laughs> yeah. sent in the deposit for UPenn, and then he backed out and got off the wait. He begged his way off the wait list at another school. And then the other school was actually, I had a student who was originally going to go to NYU, but then got off the wait list at Georgia Tech and then lost the deposit there, but loves Georgia Tech, so it all worked out. Yeah, I, I think I've had two students who have gone from the wait list and had deposits in that uh, had to forfeit their, their deposit as well. Um, it's, it's not uncommon that people get onto, into a school on, on the wait list. And I've had a number of students who have been accepted and been um, given a spot at a school before they sent in their deposit to uh, another school. So they were on the wait list got accepted before they actually did send in their deposit at another school. So that happens uh, occasionally as well. And that would be ideal because then you don't yeah, lose absolutely. the deposit. <laughs> yeah, no one likes to lose that deposit for sure. So how about when you actually, now you have to make, you know, you have to take an offer. Um, so in addition, when kids get this letter of congratulations, you're accepted, um, they also get some other things, you know, in that package, which includes a financial aid letter typically um, or a merit package but what would you say what should they how do you help your students break it down and say which one do I choose exactly I think that's that's the thing you're, you're back to square one I, it's what I tell students in that 
you know, universe forbid that they actually get accepted to say like their top three best fit, best fit schools. And if that happens, I mean, basically they're back to the, to the starting line of identifying what really is a best fit for them. And so I usually tell them, you know, either start with a pro con table, a plus minus list, or um, a filter system where they identify the things that are most important to them about a best fit school. And then uh, one of the other things, uh, because it's timely and the season to think about it, is, you know, put it into a bracket system. You're playing schools against each other. And you're saying this is what they have to bring to the game. And you say these are the things that allow them to win over your uh, other schools. And basically you play them against each other pro and con until you come up with which one do you really want to go to and which one is the best fit. How about you? That's really creative. So we do an, a similar exercise where we try to look at all the different factors. I mean, there's a few. It could be academic, personal, the resources that the school offers, the, the activities, the location, setting. And for a lot of parents, it's the financial aspect too. Absolutely. So while as much as we would love our students to completely be able to make whichever decision they want, um, I feel like a lot of times for families, it's a family decision as well. And sometimes that can differ <laughs> in terms of ranking the factors. So there is like um, an exercise that we recommend, which is, you know, we make cards with different factors and each family member, obviously mostly just mom, dad, and the, the student rank out their top three factors. And you kind of have a discussion. And hopefully some are aligned. But for the ones that aren't aligned, you know, at least you can generate a real discussion about it. Yeah, I love that. I am totally stealing that idea of, you, of having family members with cards and basically saying, you know, this is what they bring to the table. This is what they think. And I think you are right. It's spot on in that sometimes this much like when uh, students are sending in applications, if you haven't had um, the discussion on which things are most important to parents as well as students, there may be some disconnect and there may be some... Uh, uh, a little miscommunication and in, in, uh, usually it comes down to finances and parents having the reality of long-term um, loans and knowing what that really feels like versus a student who might not have, you know, firsthand experience with a long-term loan. I think uh, that is usually the sticking point. How about you? I would agree. And I feel like it's very hard because I think this is the first time students are being faced with the word loan, right? <laughs> and trying to understand, well, what does that mean? And I feel like in this country, we could do a better job of educating our students about student loans um, and the terms and how interest can sometimes balloon out of control. And I think there's different factors too, like when it comes to money, um, because some kids, I don't know if you have this with your families too, but some of my students want to go on to graduate school. Yep. And sometimes the family is only budgeted for one one either undergrad or graduate. So where do you spend that money? Exactly. Um, so different factors like that. But like what, what can students expect, I guess, in their letter and what should they be looking at in terms of the packages? Sure, I think we get back to the, uh, you know, some of the original discussions and we've had a podcast on, on uh, OPM, other people's money and how that is used to pay for your education. And I think um, this is, this is the time they revisit, you know, everything that had to do with the FAFSA 
and you know the cost of attendance the true cost of attendance um, and basically identifying what does that uh, the offer letter and the financial aid package that a school provides how much difference or what's called the gap between the actual cost of attendance so you know you look at that number and that has to play especially in those schools where you've been accepted you see the offer letter and you see the difference or the gap between how much they will provide you versus how much it costs and I think that's when it really the rubber meets the road how about how about you when you have that conversation what are the things that you look for that are often the stick points I think I also we talk about you know how much they've been gapped if that is um, if the university has not met a hundred percent of financial need and you know I think the majority of schools give out some form of financial aid but I don't believe most give out a hundred percent or meet a hundred percent but then we also look and we have to compare well some schools give merit too so depending on the family situation you know it might be like they'd have to pay full cost to go to a top 30 school or they are getting a very generous merit scholarship at say a top 50 school so yeah. how do you weigh that too um, and what really matters and what their future is so when when we know that uh, in 2012 I think it's that was the day in 2012 the student uh, loan debt in the country uh, went over a trillion dollars and we also know that uh, the average student debt on graduation um, for 2015 was about $42,000. So when you talk with students, which I mean, $42,000, that's a big chunk of change. That's a long, you're going to be paying it back for a while. Mm -hmm. So when you talk with students and parents, um, is there a number that you try, uh, like if there's two schools that are given a gap, is there a number that you kind of look at that it's significant enough to where you say, this is worth finding out if there's more money at this school? I think, like, if there is more money, I think it's if it's their top choice and they're between a few of their, like, top two or top three. And maybe they're, or maybe if it's a further distance than that, um, it's trying to say, like, hey, I think it never hurts to go back to a school and ask, is there any way that, you know, you guys have any more money? And, you know, honestly, every time a student has done that, I feel like families have always gotten a few extra thousand. I don't know about you. Yeah, and matter of fact, that's that's the thing. I think a lot of times students and parents don't realize it's negotiable. I mean, they actually have provided, based on uh, a lot of different factors, um, numbers and the qualifications of the student, that's what their financial aid package and their offer is based on. But um, I don't think a lot of people understand that that is negotiable and it is all about asking in the right way. And I think if it's, if it is, especially between, you know, your top two schools and there's a significant difference, um, it is definitely worth um, sending a letter and backing up with evidence and examples of why it's your top fit pick school and why it's a good fit and why you are a good fit for the school bringing a lot of evidence to that um, conversation and that ask um, like like you said I, I have yet to see any student who has asked in the right way 
not receive um, at least a couple thousand dollars um, of an increase in their offer. Um, and generally, I've seen uh, probably 50% of students who are um, actually pleasantly surprised with how much is available after they've asked in the right way. And I think you bring up a good point. Ask in the right way. <laughs> so I think that's very important. That goes back to niceness. <laughs> it is, exactly. So what, what are the, the things that I tell students, I said this is like humble swagger. It's where you want to make sure that you're presenting your best self and why you're a good candidate for the school and why they should be interested in you. But you also want to be respectful and show that, that social diplomacy of being able to say, I also understand that um, you have other students who are highly capable as well, but I am a good selection if you choose me. And I think playing that nice, delicate balance um, of responsible and humility, um, I think that is one of the most important things in the letter. How about you? What do you, what do you uh, encourage students to show in that letter? I agree. It's the same thing. And I would, um, sometimes I also say, like, just give them a phone call, too. Um, but I think the most important part is I tell them, like, make sure you do it, not mom or dad, just because I think it speaks volumes when a student can self-advocate. And um, it demonstrates maturity and that they are owning this process. So I do recommend that, you know, they, again, do the same things that you've recommended, which is, you know, show off your swagger, but in a really nice way, not like in a threatening way. So it's not like, oh, XYZ school gave me this. Can, you know, <laughs> you know, can you give me this? But in, you know, it's doing it in a way that's tasteful and classy, I think. I am so glad you said that. So when I have a, a student who is uh, basically writing a letter to bring recognition to their accomplishments and, and possibly get an increase in their uh, financial package of aid offer, I think one of the main things that I let them know is much like we talked about in a previous podcast, that niceness is actually something that exists and schools are looking for it. And as we talked about that respect issue when they write that letter is is probably one of the biggest times to really show that they understand what you know social diplomacy is all about. Mm -hmm. That's a wonderful point. And then I was just thinking we've spent a good amount of time about accepted the money. How about when you're not accepted? I feel like you know we need some words of wisdom here because I feel like a lot of students <laughs> tend to feel a little discouraged and they think similar to a date that's gone bad, that it's all about them. <laughs> so how do you um, talk with your students? Or how can parents have this conversation with their children? It's so funny. I, I, I don't know about you, but I think in, in all uh, people who like to achieve and have had success, I think there's, there's nothing worse than getting that, you know, rejection letter. Um, like, and it's basically saying, I don't love you, that's the way it feels, but that's not what it's about. And I, I think one of the biggest things that I tell students, um, it's important to remember that um, you were rejected this year, but the true honest um, tale of the tape over the years is there's a lot of times that you may have been accepted last year, but given what the school was looking for and what the demographics and what kind of class they were trying to fill this year, you just weren't part of that, you know, demographic, or you didn't have, you know, they, they were looking for, they may 
may have even needed people for the swim team. Who knows? But that's what the rejection, it's not personal. And I think if anything, rejected is actually better than being put on the wait list because that's limbo. So at least, you know, move on, concentrate on the acceptances and then look, you know, for that school that you're going to attend next year. That's a great way of putting it. And it was interesting. I was reading when MIT rolled out their decisions for this year. So they have a blog and they were trying to also address the situation of, you know, what does it mean when you're not accepted? And it by no means means that you weren't qualified for that school necessarily. It's really down to how many people they can accept. And, you know, they're also looking for that best fit, just like you're looking for your best fit, you know, and it just might not have worked out this year. But by no means does I, do I think that it should diminish a student's accomplishments or everything that they've worked for. It just means that there might be a better school out there for them. Agreed. I don't, I don't know about you, but I think as you do more of this work and you see more students apply, um, one of the things that I've really tried to uh, get out of the habit is um, when I look at a student, and I look at their credentials and I see all they've done and I look at their grade point and all their extracurriculars and I look at the school and who they've accepted in the past and I go, this is a shoe in. Well, I don't do that anymore because there have been a number of times where I would say the student has every right and has everything that a school could possibly want and they find out that they get rejected. So I think in, in some cases, it's really important to have that mindset that I'm concentrating on, you know, on a couple of schools. Um, all of them I've put through the, the, the bracket system and they're all good fits. And if I get accepted to one of them, any one of them, um, it'll be a, a, a great experience and I'll have a great college education. That's a wonderful way of looking at it because I don't think there's necessarily one school for each student. <laughs> That's oh, why we great. developed a list of schools. And so just because one doesn't work out doesn't mean that, you know, you're, it's insignificant or anything like that. Um, you know, you're still very valued and perhaps more valued at another school where they might be giving you even more opportunities. Yeah, if we've got 3,500 colleges in the U.S., it would be kind of silly to think that there was only one of those that would provide you with an excellent education given your personal learning styles and objectives and, and, you know, academic goals. I mean, that's just not, it's not realistic, but you know, there are probably 200 schools that could fit that. And the, the trick is to understand that there are many places to get an outstanding education and truly to find one that is a good fit where you're going to, to achieve all your goals and, and both academic and professionally. So um, I think that's one thing that's hard to let go if you really focus on one school. And that leads me to probably a question for you. If you have a student who just won't let go of uh, being rejected by their top pick, their best fit, and they know they had everything that they could possibly want, what do you do when somebody won't let go of that, you know, and they, they can't understand why they've been rejected? What a great question. Fortunately, I've not had this happen to me yet. But what I do think is sometimes we talk about, well, how, why do they really want to go to the school? And is it true that no other schools can satisfy them the way that this school can? And if that's the case, we sometimes do talk about like, do you want to transfer? 
you got to go through the whole application process again. But that's another option. Or sometimes um, I have students who still want to go to grad school. And then the discussion with their family becomes, well, it's okay. Maybe you don't go here for undergrad, but maybe you go there for graduate. And I think that helps sometimes because we'll talk and say like, um, because typically schools, when evaluating for graduate admissions, don't want to pick the same students from the same school in terms of where they went to undergrad. So, you know, that is usually a perk. I'll say like, hey, if you went to this other school, you know, you're going to be more diverse or novel as compared to if you'd gone to that school for undergrad and graduate. But those are little things I think we try to bring up and, you know, see what we can do. But, you know, it is hard sometimes to accept it. But I think it's also just a, a life lesson. Agreed. I've had two students who uh, psychologically, I think, were they were so devastated by getting a, a rejection that they just couldn't let go of it. And, you know, of course, they they wanted to know, do I write a letter? Can I tell them and make a case for why I'm a better student and, and that? And, and much like you, I'm glad you brought it up, the, the idea that, first of all, Although the, you, you may go to one school the first year, there is a transfer process. And if you, you know, show that you have an A game and give them lots of uh, indication that you are an incredible student and continue to show that in college, you can apply the next year to the, you know, the school of your dreams that uh, rejected you the first year. So that's one. And I totally agree with you. You know, if, if most students are looking at graduate school now, um, it's very common that uh, students shine brightly in undergraduate school someplace that is off the radar. And graduate student uh, schools at, uh, you know, some of the top schools, they are looking for somebody who's shown their credibility and their expertise during their undergraduate. And they don't really care where they might have went. They just want to make sure that they have an A game. So that's one thing I try to let students know if they're really stuck on that. You know, I didn't get into my my dream school, um, there are long-term visions to, to keep in mind. Any last tips for our audience? Oh, man. I think the big one is that don't focus on one school. It's a long game. And um, remember that uh, if you identified schools to apply to in the first place, if you get accepted into any one of them, there's a reason why you, you applied there. And remember that uh, they probably are going to give you an incredible education, no matter which one, where it fell on your list. How about you? Oh, I think I have a tip for tie-breaking. So my tie-breaking tip, other than the cards, is if possible, um, try to visit the schools again. Because I think sometimes kids get caught up and families get caught up in rank prestige, other factors, and they forget about the component of just feeling at home at the school. So, you know, once you get all your offers in, I would say tour again if you can and try to figure out, well, which one feels the most like home. Wow, that is a great idea. And I especially like that because um, depending on when they visited the campuses, um, as we know, campuses change during the year. They feel different. If you go during, you know, when it's warm and people are out walking around versus, you know, the dead of winter, um, campuses feel completely different. I think that's genius. I, I think that's very good. Uh, it's a very good tip for, for students who are you know, caught between a couple of schools is visit them. That's, that's really a good idea. And I think Mark and I can both agree, make sure you understand what's involved financially and yes. with loans. 
yes graduate with other people's money backing you that's for sure and don't graduate with big debt thanks for listening to the coast to coast college admissions podcast where we make getting into college easy and fun don't forget to go over to itunes and subscribe to get updated each week when we release a new episode also for more helpful college admissions information visit our website at www.c2ccollegepodcast.com 